You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Philippians chapter 4 is where we are again. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers or sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together one more time. Father, there is no way that those of us struggling with anxiety today can leave here with joy in our hearts unless your Holy Spirit is at work. And so right now, we come to you again because, honestly, there is nowhere else we can go in a world that is so unstable like the world that we live in and just the normal stressors of life, defiant children or conflict in relationships, um, deadlines and to-do lists. Um, Father, we desperately need you. And so would you, through the power of your spirit, take this word, make it alive in our hearts. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A little over four and a half years ago, I was standing in my living room with Eric and Rebecca Coble, who were in our missional community at the time, and they were bringing us a fried crappie, which uh, Eric's dad had caught, and hush puppies and french fries, one of my favorite dishes, and they were going to celebrate with us the birth of our child, uh, Wyatt. And uh, while we're sitting there talking, all of a sudden, my wife uh, comes into the living room with our eight-day-old son, who had just had a routine circumcision earlier that day. And when she comes in, I can tell there's panic on her face because there's blood that's, that's filling my son's diaper. And so immediately, like, we all kind of begin to panic, and, and Megan and I, we kind of try to stop the bleeding the best we can, but we could not do so. And so we hopped in our car, and we take off to the emergency room. And we get to the emergency room, immediately they rush us to the back, and some doctors and nurses come in, and they begin to try to, to work on Wyatt. And so for 35 or 40 minutes, we sit there and we watched helplessly as our son just screamed in pain, as they tried three or four different methods to try to get him to, to stop bleeding, but they couldn't stop it. And so they said, okay, we need you to go to St. Bernard's. There's a urologist there. We don't have one here, but there's a urologist there. He's waiting for you. And so um, we take off the Jonesboro. Megan's like in the back uh, with Wyatt, you know, like trying to nurse him and calm him down and also kind of like, you know, try to keep the bleeding at a minimal. And so um, I'm rushing in and out of traffic. I'm flying to Jonesboro. Eventually we get to the hospital and a urologist meets us there. He comes in, he takes one look at Wyatt. He says, we got to do surgery on this boy immediately. And so not something you want to hear about your eight-day, you know, eight-pound baby, especially one that just ate, right? 
And so the doctor looks and he says, Man, we have no choice. This is going to be a high-risk surgery, um, not only because he's eight pounds, but because he just ate. So there's a good chance that he could actually aspirate on the table and die in surgery. But, but we have no option because if we let him keep bleeding, he's going to bleed out. So the option is either let him bleed out and he's going to die or we go into surgery and there's like, you know, maybe a 50-50 chance that we are able to, to, to take care of the issue and he lives. And so Megan and I, we, we've never been in that situation before, right? When you get married and you have kids, you don't think, you know, if this ever happened, how would we respond, you know? And so like we're in the middle of this moment and, and, and we don't know what to do, but we just hand Wyatt to the doctors and nurses. I mean, we literally take him out of our hands and we put him in someone else's hands and then uh, they take him back to surgery and we go up into the waiting room. We're literally... We're sitting there and we're waiting on a phone call to find out, is our son going to live or is he going to die? And what I want to ask you is in moments like that, how do you rejoice? How do you, whenever literally you're waiting on a phone call that could unhinge your life, how do you go from being eaten up with anxiety to filled with joy? The reason I ask that question this morning is because when we come to Philippians chapter 4, Paul is pretty clear here. He says that if you are a Christian, you are not to be anxious about anything, but instead you are to rejoice always. I don't know about you, but I'm going to need some help with this one. Because when Paul says to rejoice always, that doesn't just mean on Sunday morning when the band's killing it and we're all doing well and things are firing on all cylinders. But rather, remember, Paul's writing here from prison. After being shipwrecked, after being beaten and losing his friends, he's sitting here lonely in a prison facing what is going to be death for preaching the gospel. And he says, no, you are as Christians to live joy-filled, anxiety-free lives even when it seems like everything else is falling apart around you. Even whenever you're in a waiting room wondering, is my child going to live or is he going to die? Question is today, how do we take this command seriously? How do we, no matter what situation or circumstance we find ourselves in, go from being eaten up with anxiety to filled with an incredible amount of joy? That's the question that we need to answer this morning. And I think in order for us to answer it, what I first need to do is define for you what anxiety really is. Because I think for some of us, we get a little confused. And what I want to be clear on is anxiety is not the same thing as fear. Fear is actually a good thing. Fear is the thing that keeps my kids from running out in the street when the ball goes out and keeps them from getting smashed by a car. Fear can lead to great wisdom, but anxiety, anxiety is what happens whenever fear becomes perverted, whenever fear becomes distorted. And so the definition that we're going to give you for fear, it comes from the Oxford Dictionary, and here's what we find out. Anxiety, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, Typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's kind of a clinical definition of anxiety. Or I love the way Seth Golden defines anxiety. He says anxiety is simply repeatedly experiencing failure in advance. In other words, anxiety is whenever you anticipate the worst possible scenario. Anxiety is whenever fear moves you from the tangible to the hypothetical. Anxiety is whenever the what-ifs of life begin to suffocate our brains and our imagination begins to run haywire with no boundaries or limits. Now, this is what it means to be anxious. And according to studies, guys, this has become more and more of a problem in our culture. Listen to some of these statistics. Just this past week, I was reading a study performed by the ADAA, and there was this article that was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology. And here's what they found out from their study. 
Okay? Anxiety disorders, listen to this, anxiety disorders are among the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 18.1% of adults. That means that nearly 40 million or 40 million people every single year in the United States are diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. There's another statistic from the study. Anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year to try to treat, which is almost a third of the $148 billion total in mental health bill in the United States. One more statistic. People with anxiety disorder, they discovered, are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from anxiety issues. Not to try to state the obvious, but clearly we have an anxiety epidemic in America that is not only costing our country billions of dollars, but more importantly, it's robbing millions upon millions upon millions of people from the joy that Jesus wants us to experience. And the truth is today, listen guys, you can go to any doctor tomorrow or any counseling agency and you can get things like Prozac, or Zoloft, or Lexapro to try to help you with your anxiety. And for the record, listen, I am not against meds, okay? I want to be very clear on that. Sometimes these meds can be a great gift, but listen, at the end of the day, what you have to hear is though these meds can numb your emotions, though they can dull the searing internal pain of anxiety, which can be a gift, at the end of the day, though they can do those things, they cannot fill your heart with joy, And I don't know about you, but I'm after joy. Like, I don't just want to survive. Like, I want to thrive. I want to experience the freedom that we just sung about that is found in Christ Jesus, no matter what situation that we are in. And the good news is today, Paul's going to show us how to get there. So if you have your Bible, go back with me. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. That's a command. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So no matter if life is spinning out of control or not, be reasonable. Why? For the Lord is at hand. Therefore, again, he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now, with that in mind, I want you to just hold your spot in Philippians 4. and Do me a favor. Flip over to Romans chapter 11. Because what Paul just said is this, whenever you find yourself getting stressed, when life gets hard, when anxiety creeps in, he says you can rejoice always, Uh, you can actually kick anxiety, and and here's how, he says, because the Lord is at hand, okay? And, And what I want you to see from Romans chapter 11 is how that truth actually really does free us from anxiety. Because I know for some of us, we read the Lord is at hand, and we're like, okay, yeah, super spiritual talk. But, but, but it doesn't really settle into our hearts. So look with me in Romans chapter 11. And Paul is writing here again. Same guy who wrote the book of Philippians is writing the book of Romans. And he's writing this letter. And out of nowhere, he breaks into this praise towards God. And I want you to hear what he says about him. Romans 11, verse 33 through verse 36. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, Paul's writing, he breaks out in praise. And what is the first thing, verse 33, that he says about the Lord? 
Well, what he says is that he's infinitely deep in wealth. In other words, what he's saying here is there is nothing anywhere in the universe that God does not rightly stand over, rule over, and proclaim as his. Therefore, what he's saying here is if God wants something, for example, if he wants your life, there's nothing you can do to stop him from taking it. That's what he just said here, right? There's nothing you can do. And what are you going to do to stop God? Right? What are you going to do from stop to stop him? If he wants your life, what are you going to do to stop him from taking it? Yoga? Right? Like CrossFit? Like cut gluten out of your life? Like all you have to do is a quick Google search and you will find out there are lots of really healthy people in this world who only eat like chicken breast and vegetables and they do lots of exercise and there are times they die at a young age out of nowhere. Everything that we have, Paul says, everything that we touch and everything that touches us belongs to God. It is all his. He rules over it. He reigns over it. And you know why? Because everything that we see, it's only here because God created it. Out of nothing, God created everything, the Bible says in John 1. And I, know, I, mean, I don't even really have a category for that. I mean, you know, last year I decided I was going to build my kids a bunk bed. And by I, I mean Brian Wilkins and my father-in-law. And I just sit there and held screws. And they're like, okay, Jared, now set the screw here. Like, here, yeah, there. And so, um, but in order for me to build my kids a bunk bed, you know what I had to do? I had to go to Lowe's and I had to buy all the materials, right? I, I, I couldn't just snap my fingers or speak that into existence. I had to go and find the materials that were already created, and then I had to then assemble a bed. That's not at all how God works. The Bible is clear that there was nothing. God spoke, and now there is something. And because he is over his creation, right, because he is the author of life, here's what's amazing. He can make anything he wants whenever he wants without any need for external resources, How infinitely wealthy is that? God makes Bill Gates literally look impoverished. Paul starts and he paints this picture of God and he says, man, he is so deep in his riches. He owns it all. He he rules over it all. I mean, it's all his. And then he goes on to verse 33. He says he's also eternally deep in wisdom. In other words, if you want to search God's wisdom, there is no end to it. What that means is that God knows every fact in the universe, recorded and unrecorded. He knows every piece of truth. He knows how everything works. He knows everything on a macro level and a micro level. He's aware of all the planets, even the planets we've yet to discover, right? He knows like how tall the mountains are on those planets and how deep the oceans are. He knows where every star is in the sky and how it's positioned. He knows everything on a macro level and a micro level, right? He knows where every cell is and and molecule and particle in the entire universe. He knows it all. And not only does he know all that, he also knows, the Bible's clear, every event that has ever happened in human history. And not only does he know every event that's ever happened in human history, he knows the events those events were birthed out of. And he even knows how if those events would not have happened the way they happened, how if they would have happened a different way, they would have created another event, which would have birthed another event, which would have birthed another event. Listen, he knows all of that without any strain on his brain whatsoever. Oh, the depths of his wisdom. Paul says, man, he is infinitely rich. He rules and reigns over it all. He knows all. And therefore, look what he does next. He begins to ask these really silly questions. He says, therefore, in light of that, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways? He says, who are you to scrutinize God? God's like, 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 honestly, like, I don't even know where my kids are right now. True story. <laughs> like, I know they're somewhere back there. 
but I don't even really know what they're doing. So how can I, as a finite man with finite knowledge, ever say to God, you're not doing this right? You can't scrutinize God. How are you ever going to scrutinize? He goes on, and I love this next part. He says in verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or whoever has been his counselor? Guys, I have a master's in seminary. Some of the other people in here, we have masters in theology. We've read the Bible cover to cover. I still have no, how stupid would it be for me to ever try to counsel God on anything? We're never going to know enough information about God or this universe or science or any of that to try to counsel God and give him information on how he should run his universe. He goes on and he says in verse 35, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. In other words, you're never going to put God in your debt. It doesn't matter how much good stuff you do in this world, God is never going to owe you a thing. The very breath you have in your body that allows you to sit here right now is a gift from Him. Your children, they're a gift from Him. The ability we have to sit here right now with lights on and clothes... And to sing our voice, it's all a gift from God. Therefore, listen, guys, on that day when I'm in the hospital with my son, what in the world am I going to barter with in order to get God to do something for me? Like, what can I possibly give God that he does not already have? That's what Paul's saying here. Well, Jared, you can give him your life. He already has my life. He already has it. Well, you can tell him, man, God, I'm going to serve you more than ever before. He doesn't need me to serve him. You realize today, Jared Pickney, Fellowship Bible Church, we could all go to dust and God will still make a great name for himself and fulfill his purposes. Acts 17.25 says this, God is not served by human hands. You need to, like, go to, you need to go underline this passage. Find it, circle it. Acts 17.25, God is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath, and in case you miss it, and he gives them everything else. And by the way, the word for everything there in the Greek literally means everything. I thought about this past week. It's kind of like whenever I was a kid and my parents would give me money to buy them a Christmas present. (laughs) Right? As silly as that is, like I didn't realize at the time, but it's like I realize now, like when I gave them that gift, I really wasn't giving them anything they didn't already possess, right? Like the only reason I was able to give them back anything was because it was already theirs and they loaned it to me. That's exactly the way it is with God when it comes to everything that we possibly possess right now. And a lot of that, he says in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, with that in mind, flip back over to Philippians 4. The reason I want us to look at that is because, look, guys, whenever Paul says in here in verse 5 that the Lord is at hand, this is the God that he's talking about. Everything that we just said about God The Bible says it is true of him, and if you are a Christian, if you have trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it says the Lord is at hand. Therefore, you can rejoice. Therefore, you do not have to be anxious. And and listen, guys, I can't make you believe this. Only the Spirit can open your heart to believe what I'm talking about here today. But if you truly believe this, no matter what you are facing, what Paul says, no matter what comes your way, you can bank on the truth that if you've trusted in Christ and his life, death, and resurrection on your behalf... 
that the gracious God of the universe who rules and reigns over all things and who is all-knowing, the one who has rescued you and saved you, that he is with you and he is for you. And if that really goes and settles into your heart, that's whenever we begin to experience joy, even in life's most unstable moments. The reality is, guys, I don't know what you're facing today, but God is not powerless. And he's not surprised. God is not like an ambulance driver who pulls up at a scene and says, okay, what happened here? What are we going to do? Like he was already there before it even happened. He's past, present, and future. He is outside of time. The Lord is there. He knows, and because he's a good God who promises to work all things out together for his good in the Scripture, even if it appears that everything has fallen apart around us, even when the situation doesn't appear that it could get any worse, if you trust in this, I'm telling you, rather than being eaten up with anxiety, you can be filled with joy. Now, just to be clear... Let's not take this anywhere that Paul's not trying to take it. Whenever I say we feel the joy, you need to understand something. When, when my son was in surgery, Megan and I weren't sitting in the waiting room going, Isn't this great? Right? I wasn't pulling out a guitar and being like, Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say, right? Like, we weren't doing that. That's foolish. That's, that's ignorant. Like, that, that wouldn't happen. When, when Wyatt was in surgery, we were crying, we were broken. We were grieving over what was happening. So whenever, when you think about joy, just want to be clear, don't think about a high school cheerleader, okay? Uh, No offense to high school cheerleaders. We love you. We thank God for you, okay? But like, I don't know what they're called, but it's like, is it like it's spirit sprinkles or whatever when cheerleaders are like, you know, is that, huh? Spirit hands. Sorry. Uh, Spirit hands. Okay. That, by far, was the most interaction I've ever had in a sermon. <laughs> so that's depressing. But anyways, uh, spirit hands, right? Cheerleaders, I mean, we've, we've been there, right? You're playing a game in high school, and the cheerleaders, like, you can be down by 30, and they're like, go team, you're great. And you're like, we're getting killed, please leave us alone, right? It's like, like that's not the picture that Paul's talking about here when he says we can have joy in all of life, right? Whenever our son Wyatt is in surgery, Megan and I are in the waiting room, we're crying, we're saying, God, I don't get this, I don't like this, but here's what we know. Wyatt's yours. He's only here because you loaned us, or you loaned him to us for your glory. And so here's what's happened in the waiting room. God, because we love this little eight-day-old boy, we want you to heal him, we want you to protect him, But we realize our joy is not ultimately tethered to the creation. It's tethered to you as the creator. And therefore, if you decide to take him, though we will grieve deeply, though we will never get over it, we will get through it because we know that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. That's where the joy comes from. And Paul says in light of that, In verse 6, because the Lord is at hand, look what he says next, because you know that he's with you. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, you want to kill anxiety before it kills you? Here's a secret. You have to pray. You have to pray. And some of you, I know you're thinking, well, I tried that. It made me even more anxious when I tried to pray. Well, it's not just any type of prayer. Like, Notice he says, you want to beat anxiety. There's a specific type of prayer you pray. And what is it? He says, you pray a prayer of thanksgiving. 
In other words, when you pray to God, you make your request known to him. And you say, God, I don't like this. I don't want this. Please help me with this. But you do it with a thankful heart. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how in the world do you pray with a thankful heart when you don't even know if he's going to answer your request? That's the point. That's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, look, when you pray, you have to trust God is who he says he is. Even if you don't see the whole picture. That's why it's a childlike faith. You trust God is who he says he is. You trust that he's infinitely rich. You trust that he's ruling and reigning over all events, including the event that you're anxious about. You trust that he is a good father who only gives good gifts to his kids. And not only is he committed to give good gifts to us, because he's the loving father, he won't give bad gifts to us. So when we ask for things, and we just know, God, if you don't do this, my life's going to fall apart, because he knows it all. He knows that in that request, if it's actually going to hurt us or not by giving it to us, because he loves us, he won't give it to us. That's how good of a God that he is. He only gives good gifts. And therefore, when you pray, if you believe this, you ask him for things, but you do it with a thankful heart, knowing that whatever answer you get, However he responds, that in the end, he will respond in a way that is going to be for your good and his glory. Again, I can't make you believe that, but it's true. And if you're having a hard time believing that right now, I would just ask, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Practice it right now. He says, if you begin to believe this true, look at verse 7. Man, how awesome is this? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As I read that verse this past week, I couldn't help but think about a conversation that I had with Andy Runyon's mom at Andy's dad's funeral uh, last month. And, and, and what she told me, she said, you know, whenever Coach Runyon, when he was diagnosed with cancer, and they told him, hey, you're probably not going to beat this. And he's, he's a young, was a young man. How old was he? I mean, remember? 65? That's, that's young. That's younger and younger to me all the time. When he was diagnosed and they told him, hey, you're probably not going to beat this. You know what he did? Here's what his wife told me. He said, you know what? We're going to try to get the best doctors we can. We're going to try to do all that we can do. But at the end of the day, if God calls me home, he calls me home. And we're not going to sit there and say, well, what if we'd done this? What if we'd done that? We're not going to sit back in regrets. We're going to say, man, God's given us a good life. And we're going to rejoice in that no matter what ends up happening. Guys, that's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like that, does, that, 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 there's, that's not logical. Most people are scared to death of death. Most people get a diagnosis that they're going to die. We freak out. But here we see a peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul says in here, literally, whenever you realize the Lord is at hand and you go to him in prayer with prayers of thanksgiving, he says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus. The word for guard there, it's a military term that, that the church of Philippi would have understood. Literally, it, it means to patrol your heart. What the church of Philippi would have thought about is how Roman soldiers back in their city used to patrol their city to make sure that they were not attacked by an enemy. Well, Paul says, when you know the Lord is at hand, literally the peace of God himself, the peace of God will patrol your heart and protect it and your mind from anxiety. And fear. Isn't that crazy? And therefore, in light of this, what he, he then says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what's the word he says next? What's the word? Think. Think about these things. Ponder these things. And what does he say to ponder? First thing, guys, and you have to get this. He says, we have to ponder 
what is true. The reason most of us are falling into anxiety today is because we're believing lies about God rather than believing what's true about Him. We're believing lies that, that the enemy's planting in our mind or we're, we're, we're putting there ourselves or because of wounds from our past and our relationships. We're believing things like this. God is not in control. God is weak. God is not good. God does not love me. God is not with me. Some of you right now that's running in your mind over and over and over. And Paul says, you know what? You don't have to become a prisoner of those thoughts. You can take those thoughts captive. You can stop giving lies so much real estate in your mind. And you can replace the lie with what is true about God. That's why it is so important. We talk about it. We made a big push for it at the beginning of the year. Guys, you want to beat anxiety? You've got to get in the Word of God. You have to read the scriptures. I'm sorry. I know reading is not fun. I know you've got Netflix and Instagram and all that kind of great stuff. But if we truly want to live a joy-filled lives, we have got to immerse ourselves in scripture. We have to meditate on what is true about God. He goes on and he says, don't, even, don't just meditate on what is true, but if you want to beat anxiety, he says, think about what is honorable and just as opposed to unjust, whatever is pure as opposed to what is impure, what is lovely as opposed to what is ugly. Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, God is about excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I've, I've never been a guy that um, wants to get up and preach without first trying to practice what I'm about to preach on. And so this morning, I woke up, and when I found myself dwelling on some anxious thoughts, I thought, I'm going to put this into practice. So I woke up this morning, and I started thinking, okay, it's raining outside. And I'm not like, so it's raining outside, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, as a result of that, we might have some, a low crowd. And if we have a low crowd, I'm getting anxious about that because I'm thinking, what if a visitor shows up, and they've heard good things about fellowship, then all of a sudden it's a low crowd, it feels kind of dead in here, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, this church actually is kind of lame, and therefore they never come back, right? What, what's going on in that moment? There's a storm outside, but more than that, there's a storm in my soul. And the storm says something like this, Jared, you're in control of these people, not God. And their lives are in your hands, not his. And if you cannot manufacture, if you cannot take chaos and create order and produce just the right environment, then they're just not going to make it. And that's on you. So, welcome to my world, okay? So, so I, uh, those are the thoughts running through my mind this morning. And so I said, I'm going to put verse 9 into practice. And so here's what I did. I went out to my front yard, and I just began to look at this oak tree in my front yard, which I think is lovely, by the way, okay? And as I'm looking at this oak tree, I, I look up and I get a glimpse of the moon. Okay, I can see like a quarter of the moon. And in that moment, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize anything, but in that moment as I'm, as I'm thinking about what is lovely and what is pure, as I'm thinking about God and how he put this whole world into existence, you want to know what happened? My problems that felt so big all of a sudden felt incredibly light under the weight of God's glory. And, and in that moment as I was reminded of the bigness of God and that I'm not alone and that he created this world and he sustained it long before me and he'll sustain it long after me, but by his grace, he's invited me into it to be a part of his grand story. In that moment, this morning, I found my anxiety being overshadowed by gratitude. This is what Paul's talking about here. And, and listen, just to be honest with you, I'm not saying that's always the way it is for me. There are many times 
I will sit there and I will focus on what is ugly and what is impure and what is dishonorable and false. And as a result, my, my heart, my mind is filled with anxiety. And I love that Paul is a loving pastor. He knows this about us. And so here's the way he ends in verse 9 because he knows that we're going to still struggle with anxiety. Here's what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the word next? Practice. Let's say it together, okay? Practice. What you have, lear- what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And then the God of peace will be with you. In the last week, I played two different tennis matches. Um, one of them was a tennis match that I got... I, I, I literally lost to a 71-year-old man. <laughs> and in the other tennis match, which was on Friday night, um, I beat a guy who was only 21 years old who three years ago won the state championship. How's that possible? Well, let me tell you, because the 71-year-old has literally been practicing every single day for the last three years. Backhands, forehands, overhands, serve, slice, spin. The state champ hadn't practiced since high school. Tennis is not a natural sport. You want to get good at it, you have to practice. Likewise, being filled with joy, not natural. You have to practice. If we're going to get good at this, guys... This is something that we're going to have to engage in. We're going to have to put these things, these truths, into practice. Because listen, it's not natural to rejoice in all things, is it? I mean, there might be some of you in here, some of you sevens, right, on the Enneagram, right? (laughs) But for most of us, it's not natural to rejoice in all things. It's not natural for us to just lay all of our anxieties and cares down, right? It isn't natural for us to always think about the best-case scenario. What's natural is to think about The worst case scenario. What's natural is whenever you send a message to your missional community on group me and they don't like your message, is not to think, well, it must be because they're busy or maybe they liked it they just didn't put anything. It's because either A, they don't love me, or B, they don't love Jesus, or C, they hate us both, right? (laughs) Like, that's what's natural. What's natural is whenever a spot comes up and you have to go to the doctor, you think, well, it's cancer. This is how it ends, Right? What's natural is whenever the boss says, hey, I want to speak to you, you think, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to get the hook, right? Like, that's what's natural. And therefore, as a result, what's natural is for every single person here today, rather than giving your anxiety to God, is to try to carry it all by yourself. Some of you carry it right back here, right? That little luck like, T. Some of you carry it here. Some of you carry it in your gut. And therefore, listen, guys. If we're going to go from being eaten up with anxiety to filled with joy, it's going to take a lot of practice. We're going to have to practice saying, you know what? I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to have my whole day wrecked once again by worrying about things that I cannot control. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to make myself sick worrying over this. I'm not going to sit here paralyzed by fear because of lies that I am believing. God, I'm giving it to you. God, I'm going to ponder on what is true. I'm going to put into practice what I know is true. And as a result, I know that over time, not overnight, guys, listen, not overnight, but over time, according to the word of God, not according to the word of Jared, 
A promise from Scripture is that we can find joy in all of life as we trust the Lord is with us no matter what. I want to end this morning with just a verse from John 16, 33. These are the words of Christ. I'll read these and we'll be done. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have troubles. You will have troubles. It's going to happen. Don't, don't be surprised when troubles come. Jesus just said it's going to happen. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You know what we should fear more than anything else? <clears throat> the three things that we can never defeat in our own power, which is Satan, sin, and death. Jesus has overcome them all. And if he has overcome the three things that we should fear the most, there is no reason that we should have to have anxiety and be controlled by things now that are far lesser than those things. Because if he has beaten those, if he has overcome that, we can trust that if he is in us, we will overcome all things. And one day the promise is we will rule and reign with him for all eternity in a place where all sad things are going to come untrue.